I'm Damien Venuto. It's March 31st and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Many New Zealanders are struggling right now with the cost of living, but some help is on the way. From April 1st, increases to the pension, benefit, student allowance and childcare subsidies will benefit 1.4 million Kiwis, while the minimum wage increases by $1.50 an hour. The increases are touted as helping the New Zealanders suffering the most right now as we head into a freezing winter. But what impact will these measures actually have on those who need it most? Today, Sense Partners economist Shamabil Jakob walks us through the government's cost of living measures. Shamabil, let's start with the minimum wage increase. How much has it gone up and how much of a difference will it make to New Zealanders on the lower end of the pay scale? Well, the minimum wage will increase by $1.50 and every little bit helps. As you know, the cost of living has gone up and people who are working on these very hard but fairly low paid jobs, they are going to find that there's just a little bit more money. But the reality is that because there are just so many taxes, even for poor people in New Zealand, not a lot of that will end up in the family kitty. Now, business owners often express disdain when it comes to any increases to the minimum wage, saying that it's going to hurt their bottom line. But how does that actually bear out in broader economic terms? What impact does an increase in the minimum wage have on the economy? It's fairly controversial. Businesses always whinge and moan about it every time there is an increase in the minimum wage. But even with the very big increases in minimum wages in the last few years, we haven't seen widespread business failures as a result. Instead, what we've seen is we've got record numbers of businesses in fairly low-paid industries, like in the food service sector. So in reality, what we've found in very good experiments in the US in particular is it has very minimal, if any, impact on business failures and job losses. I am concerned for those in our communities who are feeling the greatest financial pain at these times, and that includes those on the minimum wage. They make impossible trade-offs between food and medical care, dry homes, clothing for their children. These families need our support now more than ever. To that end, the minimum wage will increase by $1.50 to $22.70 per hour. the fact that that business voice is coming through a product of the fact that businesses have lobbies that push their causes a bit harder than, say, average humans? Totally. Look, businesses are a very well-organized opposition. They can have a one point of contact in terms of telling a well-crafted opposition story. But the people who are on minimum wages, they're working really difficult jobs on very low pay. They don't have time to get themselves organized to say, you know what, this is going to make a difference. And you know what, it is the right thing to do because it's fragmented across so many people. But the reality is that we have wages in New Zealand that are poverty level wages, and that is not good enough. There is a expectation and a duty of society to look after those people who are doing the jobs you and I don't want to do. Do you think we've also moved too far away from the COVID experience where we really saw the value of those jobs? Have we forgotten the value that they bring? I think we've forgotten who the essential workers are very quickly because it's easy for us to exploit those people who are doing the tough jobs, the people who are stacking the supermarket shelves, the people who are looking after a poor and vulnerable, the people who are looking after our elderly sick. These are the people who are on some of the lowest wages, and yet those are the people without whom society would grind to a halt, as we found during COVID. It fills me with absolute anger 
absolute anger that we continue to exploit these people for services that we deem absolutely necessary for society to function. Shomerville, when you look at that tax breakdown, what do you think a fairer tax system would look like? Well, a fairer tax system means, one, the rich actually pay their fair share, and two, we actually pay tax on capital. We have so much money that's tied up in wealth that is simply forgotten from a tax system. That is just not acceptable. We think we're a country that is highly taxed. We are not. We're just below the OECD average. We have expectations that we're going to have a society and a welfare system and a safety net and a health system that is excellent and Nordic in nature, but we don't want to pay for it with Nordic taxes, which are more like 40% of GDP or more. So if we wanted to have services, if we want to have a society that is well-knit together and looks after everyone, we are going to have to pay more taxes and we are going to have to have better services. But we can't square the circle where everybody wants to have low taxes and better services. It does not exist in any reality. So apart from the minimum wage, we're also going to see a lift in superannuation payments. How much are we talking here? How many New Zealanders are affected and how much will this cost the country? Look, superannuation is our biggest welfare payment in the country because it's available to everybody who's old over the age of 65. And while the universality is simple and it's easy, the reality is it's not targeted at all to those who need it. It's extremely expensive. We're spending billions of dollars on welfare for the elderly who have not paid enough taxes for these services, for many of them who don't actually need it. And this increase in the superannuation is necessary for those older people who don't have enough wealth and enough returns from it. But for a lot of older people, this is simply going to be just a little bit of extra pocket money to go and buy an extra few coffees. It is a welcome thing to see that the government is increasing superannuation, but it is the bare minimum they needed to do. There are a lot of older people who are struggling desperately financially. It's about targeting those people who are the most vulnerable. And there's probably a subset, maybe 15, 20% of older people who really, really struggle, and they're the people they need to get the support to. Shomobil, last time you were on the front page, we spoke about the need to lift the age of superannuation. In this package, we're going to see nearly 900,000 people on the pension impacted by these increases, over double those on the benefit. So do you think that this growing expense makes this issue even more pressing now? To me, it's outrageous that we have welfare for the well-heeled older people, but we penny pinch when it comes to looking after those people who are truly poor and truly vulnerable many of whom include children living in poverty. To me, it's an outrage, absolute outrage, that we have a super system that's kind and generous, and yet that is paid for by mean and stingy welfare policies. When you look at the fury in France sparked by the prospect of raising the retirement age to 62, does this show how difficult it is to nudge people on this issue? The politics is absolutely difficult. It is so difficult because you know what? None of these people want to give up that extra money that they get in their bank account even though they don't need it. They would rather take it from the poor and grind them into poverty. That is the reality of it. And the older, wealthier, well-organized people have a strong and loud voice. If you're enjoying this episode of The Front Page brought to you by the New Zealand Herald, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Moving on to the childcare subsidy, how much of a difference is this going to make to the families affected? 
Childcare is a huge expense, particularly for working mothers. We know that it's really, really important to have good quality childcare services. But we have some real difficulties in the childcare sector in New Zealand. It's very privatized, very profit motivated, and it's very likely that the cost of childcare is going to increase pretty quickly in line with the increase in subsidies. So I'm really hopeful that the increase in subsidies will help many of those working mothers that are really struggling, but I'm not hopeful that it's going to last for very long. Are subsidies going to be enough to fix that issue or are we looking at a far bigger, longer term issue that needs a broader fix here? It has to be much more generous if we're to really help working mothers back into work. There is no easy way to do it that is cheap because, again, it's just such an expensive program, right? Because there's just so many young people who need care and support and the subsidies are expensive. In Nordic countries, they have much larger subsidies for early education, and we're not even scratching the surface when it comes to what kind of money they spend. In addition to this, we're also going to see a continuation of the petrol price subsidy and half-price public transport. What do you make of these two initiatives? Are they targeted enough? That's been the criticism from the beginning, that they simply aren't targeted enough. So what's your view on that? This is always the challenge. When you have these broad universal policies that affects everybody, they're very expensive, but don't go far enough. It's that butter spread too thinly over toast. And my preference would always be, if you're going to spend money, target it very carefully to the people who need it. The reality is that we can deal with poverty in New Zealand if we want to. We are actually a very rich nation. We choose not to. We bloat our welfare system by giving subsidies to the middle classes, to the wealthy older people by choosing not to invest in poverty. And targeted policies are always going to be better because the reality is that we will get a much better bang for our buck and we'll create much better outcomes by giving those people dignity and space to be able to improve themselves. The four leading health issues affecting our youngest children under five years of age are all preventable and all linked to poverty and inequality. It's directly related to the housing environment. So when families have affordable and healthy homes, they're going to be in a much better position to be able to enable safe sleeping practices. And sitting behind all of that is the livable income levels of whānau and the resources they have in day-to-day life. The latest figures we have show that 120,000 children are still living below the poverty line in New Zealand, and that doesn't even include the number of homeless children that we have. What do you make of Labour's performance when it comes to lifting families out of poverty? Doesn't it just show us we've got to do so much more? We cannot have policies that go thinly over too many people. We've got to have courage and boldness if we're actually going to deal with it. Poverty is entirely fixable. We know the kinds of policies that will work, but it requires us to take the money away from those people who do not need it to actually invest it in poverty programs, but we've chosen not to. Are we seeing any better alternatives or plans yet from other parties in New Zealand? No, we are not. Our political system is full of people who only like to get votes from the middle classes and the loud, older and richer people. It is so frustrating so frustrating to see that it is not about ideology. When it comes to poverty, it should be an issue for all New Zealanders, regardless of ideology, that when we improve and reduce poverty in New Zealand, it actually makes our country better off, our community better off, our society better off. And yet what we find is across the political spectrum, there is this extraordinary opposition towards actually lifting people out of poverty. 
The Reserve Bank has been working to reduce inflation by increasing interest rates and reducing the amount that New Zealanders have available to spend. So what impact will these cost of living measures have on those efforts? Is there a risk that this is running counter to the Reserve Bank's efforts to put the lid on inflation to some degree? Not really. You know, the poor people are not the ones who are causing inflation, right? It's just not them. They're just making do. They're the best budgeters in the country. Any inflation that is happening is either being imported or is actually being created by the middle classes and the rich. So let us not pretend that somehow reducing poverty is going to create inflation. That is absolutely not true. It would be much better for us to reduce poverty because you know what? Being poor is extremely expensive. Their cost of finance is way more expensive than a middle-class person like me. Their cost of services is much more expensive than a middle-class person like me. So no, I absolutely do not support a view that there is any way reducing poverty measures would be inflationary. It's a stopgap measure, it's a band-aid solution to a serious problem, which is actually what are the economic fundamentals that we need to be fronting up for to deal with the cost of living crisis. If you earn $71,000 or more in this country and you may be a person in a good job with an average income, a nurse, a doctor, a police officer, you don't benefit from that payment. And so that's the reality of what's happening here in New Zealand at the moment. And we have a cost of living crisis and you have to control spending. What do you make of the criticisms coming from the centre-right parties that the government is spending too much, that it's wasting money on all these social welfare issues and that the government needs to tighten its belt and pull back on spending? It is an outrage. We've got poverty in our country. These are people who are living in conditions that do not give them dignity. How can we sit there and say we do not want to spend money on these people, that we should not have services for these people? It is a moral outrage that we have no moral compass in our country that says Actually, this transcends ideology. It fills me with anger. Shemabil, just yesterday on the front page, we looked into the high cost of dental care in the country. Do you think we could use any subsidies in this area? Would it have a tangible impact on those Kiwis suffering the most? Yes, it would. I mean, it's just an example of the cost of poverty. We have a universal health system, but apparently our teeth are not part of our body. It's ridiculous. We have a welfare system that does not actually help people look after all the things that they need, including their dental care. So the reality is that we know that these issues exist. We know that poverty excludes people from getting access to health care and services like dental care. How can we be in a country that says we have universal health care and we know very well that we don't provide it? It is a failure of collective imagination and a failure of collective responsibility. Shemabil, just looking forward at the upcoming election, are you confident at all that we'll see some solutions or resolutions to the issue of poverty in New Zealand from any of our major political parties? I'm not optimistic. You can always hope, but I don't think we will. I think inevitably our elections are geared towards the middle classes. I hope, fervently hope, that our politicians will grow our spine and do something about addressing poverty in New Zealand. It is unacceptable that we have so much of it in New Zealand when it doesn't need to be. Thanks for joining us, Shamabil. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.